Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Well, hey there, everybody. Uh, this is Tony Katz today. I am Andrew Langer in for Tony. I'm in being for Tony today, Tony tomorrow, Monday through Thursday next week. Already starting to put together a great program of shows. So uh, you're going to have to stay tuned to see. As I always say, by the way, I mentioned this earlier. I mentioned this on other shows. I have mentioned this today. Yeah, you know something? I am. Uh, I, I I do work in D.C live in Virginia, but I do have that Indiana connection for those of you who are wondering, why? But besides the fact that he knows uh, Tony, why does Tony have Andrew on? Well, because I got family in Indiana. In, 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 in Indiana. In fact, I was just talking uh, to uh, to somebody uh, about this. Um, my family's from up in Cass County, uh, up in Logansport, where the Wabash meets the Eel. A uh, great deal of affinity for Logansport, Indiana. Uh, it's where my grandmother grew up and my, my great uh, aunt grew up. Uh, so we we love we love going back. It's been a bit since we've been back in in Logansport. We need to get back out there. So, you know, as I was saying to Carl, I got to come out and do uh, do the show. Uh, uh, peeling back the curtain, do the show in studio. But come come out and do it, and then be able to go up to uh, uh, go up to uh, to Logansport and and see the family and see the sights, etc. Anyway, so there's a lot going on. We we've been, we've been talking about all all kinds of news today, um, and, and obviously. What what uh, uh, underscores or undergirds all of the news right now in the United States uh, are the competing visions for America presented by President Biden and President Trump as they run as they run for office. Um, and there are all kinds of other subtexts that are involved right now. And one of the things that we're starting to uh, to see now, we, we, we've talked about lawfare. And obviously, if you spent any time logged any time uh, watching CPAC over the weekend, you know, late last weekend into the weekend, uh, you know that the, the lawfare issue was a huge source. What do I mean by that? For those of you who are the uninitiated, what this is, is the use of the legal world uh, to go after your political opponents and to essentially keep your political opponents tied up uh, with these kinds of lawsuits uh, and having to deal and defend with them at, at you know the very the very core of this is how they work with uh, the the president's uh, I'm sorry the president how they work with President Trump's eligibility to even run for office uh, the breaking news uh, again that uh, that Donald Trump has been thrown off the ballot in both I'm sorry both the primary and the general election ballot in Illinois. Uh, and the last time I was on the phone, I talked a little bit about this because I got into it with uh, with uh, a troll online uh, asking the question. I asked the question uh, about the issue of organizations that are nonprofit and tax deductible organizations uh, that are engaging in this kind of lawfare to keep the president off the ballot. How this is not electioneering in violation of their nonprofit status. And I asked this question of a couple of more people over the weekend, and they all agreed with me. The problem is is that nobody seems to be complaining about this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to find the right organization uh, that should engage in and, and, and challenge these organizations, file a complaint. Uh, at, you know, we, we know that the, that the uh, Biden administration IRS will not pursue one of these organizations for violating their tax-exempt status. Um, or not their t- I'm sorry, let me be really clear about this. Because I just made a mistake that everybody makes. It's not a question of being tax exempt. 
organizations that engage in political activity, electioneering, they are tax exempt. Your 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 um, your political action committees, your PACs or your super PACs, uh, they are they are not taxed as such in the same way that for profit entities are. Uh, what the deal is is that whether or not they violate their status as being tax deductible organizations, uh, donations to them are tax deductible because uh, it does change the calculus here. Uh, what do I mean by that? It changes the the, the kinds of folks uh, and uh, who organizations and the amounts that they give. Now, some folks will give to what are called five hundred one c three nonprofits. They'll just give to them anyway because you know they 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 believe in their mission. Um, others, especially when we're talking about charitable foundations, they will not give to organizations uh, that that don't have the tax deductibility status of donations to them. Um, you know, so so you know that's a that's a huge issue, and I'll and I'll go, I'll go a little bit further down the road that some of these big left leaning organizations that are supported by the Ford Foundations or the various Rockefeller Foundations or the John D and Catherine T MacArthur Foundation, uh, looking at you, uh, uh, National Public Radio and and uh, and PBS, uh, these entities, right? They they get substantial funding from these nonprofit foundations. Anyway, so there's a lot bound up in trying to keep President Trump off the ballot, which, by the way, is profoundly stupid on the part of leftist organizations. I mean, right, if they, if they, if they win and they're able to succeed, well, okay, um, that means that Republicans have to change out their candidate. The other question is whether or not, uh, whether or not uh, uh, Donald Trump would be permitted to be an, a write-in candidate. I'm not sure how that gets policed. Uh, but anyway, the point is there is a lot – of uh, there is a lot of uh, reliance being placed by the left on the Supreme Court and how they're gonna how they're gonna do things and what's gonna happen with these cases. Uh, so here is Adam Schiff, Congressman Adam Schiff, uh, on CNN talking about uh, uh, Trump and the court cases and the election. Let's play uh, cut number seven. One of the things that that some Americans are focused on are crimes that are allegedly being committed by migrants who are in the country. Illegally, There was the death of Lake and Riley in Georgia. There's been an arrest made there. Republicans are directly blaming President Biden for this. Uh, Republican Senator Josh Hawley said, quote, these deaths are on him. What's the White House response to that? So, first of all, I want to mm. offer uh, our right, well, condolences some, somehow to Somehow I, I must have gotten it confused. I apologize, uh, folks, because that's Corinne Jean-Pierre uh, uh, answering that question. Tell you what, uh, let's, go to, let's go to cut number eight then. Here's uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin from Maryland talking about this. Obviously, we can't put all of our hopes um, in the Supreme Court. The people need to be engaged and aroused at this point to uh, demand that there be justice, but also to be organizing yeah. for the election. Everybody needs to be vigilant. Everybody needs to be vigilant. Oh, by the way, this tees up something else that is quite disturbing here, because we've started to, 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 to hear this. Now, uh, we know that one of the big issues that Democrats are counting on and the Biden uh, re-election campaign is counting on is using the various cases against Donald Trump and the ballot access laws uh, for folks that uh, have been accused of or convicted of or whatever uh, uh, to, to deny Trump access to these these ballots. But more importantly, what they want to do is they want to keep this issue in the news for long enough so that for a certain percentage of the population, and remember, the 2020 election was essentially 
essentially decided uh, uh, by about 40,000 votes in six different states. So uh, just a handful of folks in each state moved from column B to column A. They want to keep it there. They want to tarnish Trump and make Trump toxic, but also raise the question in people's minds as to whether or not Donald Trump is even eligible to be president of the United States. Well, now they can take it a step further, which is to say that if Donald Trump wins the election, wins it outright, they're not able to steal it, they're not able to manufacture votes, they're not able to, uh, uh, you know, Republicans find parity in terms of mail-in ballots and, and are able to get those ballots into the, uh, uh, you know, in Republican numbers into these state elections. What they're planning on doing, we're already hearing rumblings about this, is once again questioning the legitimacy of Donald Trump's election, right? We've Listen, we've gone through now. Uh, seven years of this, uh, it, it, you know, it, seven years of a situation, eight years of a situation in which that's really seven and a half in, in which Donald Trump's legitimacy of his election was questioned uh, and they've continued to do this. Uh, and now we are back to this idea that they're going to raise the question uh, of whether or not Donald Trump is legitimately allowed to be president of the United States. That's what they're going to do following the election, and they're going to work hard. That's how they're going to they're going to frustrate this situation. Um, mark my words uh, that they're that the Democrats are going to raise questions. Oh, and by the way, in a very Orwellian fashion, all of the Democrats who have been up in arms about January sixth and the chicanery about January sixth, they will be back doing exactly what they did in 2016. Because remember. There was an organized effort to change the electoral college or the votes of, of several of a number of members, enough members of the electoral college to deny Donald Trump the election. How do I know this? Because I had been an elector in 2008. I was still on the list of uh, of electors that a lot of people have. And in two, 2016, I was getting emails uh, imploring me to change my vote. Uh, this this listen, this is not going to be over. Uh, in the fall when we come back we're going to be joined by scott shepherd from the free enterprise project talking about some of the good activist work that they're doing i am andrew langer this is tony katz today well we are back while we were waiting for our guest to call i mean this is let me let me continue with this a little bit because this is this is important as we talk about the gaslighting issues here in the states, um, the the problem that we have of of the Biden administration, you know, just going down this road of trying to. And I've I've talked about this before on the air, which is the issue of of um, engaging in policies that are completely detached from any sign of objective reality. Um, you know, I know we, we got this uh, this transgender issue uh, here in, in Indiana. We've talked about in the past. Certainly that's happened as well. We, we, the left goes out and, and uh, affirmatively denies that there's any difference between uh, a, a girl who was born a girl playing sports and a kid who was born a boy and is now claiming to be a girl uh, playing those self-same sports. I don't know if you all saw the, the, the volleyball video or the, the, the basketball video a couple of weeks ago. But this certainly, it's the case with what we're talking about down on the border, where, as, as we said, you know, they, we had Mayorkas in 2021 proudly telling the American people uh, that we were, uh, that, that it was all, um, 
probably tell, telling the American people that they had done away with uh, that they had done away with the Trump era uh, rules and regulations regarding the border. And here we are today with just a, a, an unbelievable crisis down on the border. The breaking news today, by the way, let me talk about this for a second. This story that's now out of the federal court in Texas saying that the Texas law that's supposed to take effect on March 5th, this law that says that uh, that uh, the Texas police can arrest people uh, who who illegally cross the border, uh, the 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 uh, the federal court saying that no, they, they they can't do that. I haven't read the decision yet. But, you know, this is this is also part of this gaslighting uh, of America. This idea that under our, our system of federalism and our constitutional, constitutional structure, right, I get it. I get the idea that uh, that um, uh, the, the federal government has supremacy under the supremacy clause for taking care of our borders. Uh, but the idea that that the Texas state police can't enforce state and local trespassing laws is nothing short of an insane way of looking at people. And, and, and again, it is a decision that is not only detached from the law, uh, but also detached from public policy reality. What do I, what do I mean by this? I, I've said this uh, probably on, on these airwaves before. I'll say it again. I am a, uh, I, I, I used to have an aphorism. And again, I've been doing public policy uh, for, for almost 30 years now in a variety of different capacities. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the, the lessons that I've learned over the years is that the most well-intentioned policies eventually bump up against very real realities. So, you know, you, you decide, let's say that your intentions are good and honorable. You just want to be nice to people who are fleeing uh, bad economies down in Central and South America. We want to be nice to them. We want to be good to them. You know, and the, the right thing to do, the humane thing to do is to allow them to just enter our country. And, and, and oh, and once they get here, because uh, they don't have any means, well, well, we need to be able to give them uh, money to buy things. We can't just give them food and clothes and shelter. Uh, we need them to be able to do it on their own. And we can't just hand them cash, so we're going to hand them uh, debit cards. You know, this is all well and good. Again, again, their intentions may very well be honorable. I don't think they are, but, they may, but let's assume for a moment that they are. The, but the problem, of course, is... That when you open up the border and you promise people all kinds of goods and services if they make it across the finish line, you know, like they're doing a uh, like they're doing a fun run, a corporate fun run on some Wednesday. Hey, you finish the fun run, you get pizza and beer. Um, you know, the end result, of course, is that 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 you are incentivizing people coming into the United States and it creates huge, huge problems. So listen, I'm a firm believer. Oh, and by the way, my dad, my dad, uh, uh, he, he has a different take on that, on that phrase. The most well-intentioned policies eventually bump up against very real realities. My dad says, and this has the merit of being true as well. There are many roads to utopia. All, however, must traverse the surface of the earth. We have to deal with the reality. And, and so this judge down in the federal district court in Texas, and I don't know who the judge is, I'm assuming the judge is a Democrat. I could very well be wrong. It was Democrat appointed. 
is that it ignores the reality that the state and local police departments have they they have powers in this regard the states have powers to defend themselves also have the powers to get involved in in issues of national defense so long as they don't conflict with the with the the role of the of the federal government which is supposed to be again defending the border but the reality is and and it's just a, it's a very simple matter of law that if you are crossing the border uh, unless you are crossing the border from mexican land onto some federally owned land like they have in New Mexico and Arizona, where there's wide swatches, in California, where there are wide swatches of federally owned lands along the border, which is by design. You know, Rahul Grijalva, Rahul Grijalva, congressman, wanted to make more wilderness area to make it along the border to make it harder for those wilderness areas to be patrolled to allow these migrants to come across. Unless it's federally owned and controlled land, then presumably it's either privately owned land state-owned land or county-owned land or municipality-owned land in which case the texas state police and the texas rangers they have the power and the authority to go and patrol if they're trespassing on private lands they have the power to arrest those people if they're trespassing on state-owned lands or, or other government state or local or county-owned lands they have the power to arrest those people and charge them with trespassing so this is this is not uh, in the most literal sense is not rocket science here. That's funny because somebody else said to me today, and I hadn't heard this before, um, uh, that your ideology does not trump my reality, or your ideology does not trump reality tomorrow uh, in in general. So that's very important to realize. But this is where we are. Oh, and, and actually, I want to shift back for a second to what I was talking about in the first segment of this hour, which is the issue of the president and and running for office uh, and the courts and how the courts are involved here. You know, this is this is the issue is that in, in, in so many of these cases, we can't have these things sorted out. Actually, I wasn't even with the with the uh, with the election, but with something we were talking about with Tim Lee this issue of the march-in rule and what the Biden administration is trying to do. It is very clear that that is done. This is this issue of the Biden administration seizing patents on pharmaceuticals and other things in the name of the national interest under this Bayh-Dole Act. You can read what the administration is doing, and on its face, it's contrary to federal law, uh, federal regulatory law. All, all regulations are supposed to be founded in, uh, under something called the Administrative, uh, Administrative Procedure Act. Uh, a, a proposal is supposed to not be arbitrary, capricious, and abuse of discretion or otherwise not in accordance with the law. This proposal, if they ignore us and they try to implement it, it will be challenged and it will be overturned under those auspices. The problem is it will take some time for that challenge to wind its way through the courts. And the American Republic just doesn't have the time to wait as these things are implemented unless they are stayed. 
Listen, after the news, we're going to be joined by Barry Hinckley. He's got this effort called the Declaration, I'm sorry, the Redeclaration of Independence. Want to hear from you on all this. Facebook.com slash Andrew Langer Show. That's how you message me while I'm on the air. You can also tweet at me at Andrew underscore Langer on the Twitter machine. I am Andrew Langer. I am in for Tony Katz. And of course, this is Tony Katz Today. Langer in for Tony Katz today. Love a little salmon, Dave. I mean, before we bring on our guest, all of you out there, when you hear Hold On, I'm Coming by Sam and Dave, what do you think about? Because I'll tell you what I think about. I immediately think about the Blues Brothers and the tape of the best of Sam and Dave in the Blues Mobile. That's what I think about. Uh, hey, listen, it got me, got me turned on to Sam and Dave. Love it, love it, love it. Want to know what you think? Facebook.com slash Andrew Langer Show. Or at me on uh, at me on Twitter at Andrew underscore Langer. Joining us right now is a gentleman. Uh, he was uh, being promoted to me at CPAC last week. We didn't get a chance to talk. His name is Barry Hinckley. He is the founder of an organization called Redeclaration.org. They're having a Redeclaration of Independence, or they had one on October fourth, twenty twenty three. Barry, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about the uh, the Redeclaration. Uh, it's great to be with you, Andrew. Uh, the Redeclaration of Independence is uh, basically a candidate and representative accountability petition. We have gotten to the point, as we the people, and I think your listeners are on that page, certainly I listened to a, a few of them on the intro, and uh, that we are incredibly disappointed, frustrated to use uh, words that we can use on the airways about the, uh, the behavior and actions of our representatives, most of our representatives, in Washington, D.C. Uh, and, and we believe that only if we get 10% of the adult population, uh, legal adult population in America, to sign a pledge of accountability and demand our reps do the same thing and go to Washington to work on things like securing the border, term limits, balanced budget, those basic type tenants, and we have 10 of them in our redeclaration of independence, that we can then hold these representatives and these candidates accountable so they work. So when they come and ask for their job back in two years or six years, whatever cycle they're on, we can measure them against that progress or not. Uh, it's it's an interesting idea. Um, and you started this in October. I'm looking at the, the 10 tenets here. It starts with uh, honor and enforce the Constitution as written. Uh, which is uh, ab- abundantly important as it seems to get perverted uh, time a- and again. Um, and then it goes on. I will say nothing about the regulatory state, the administrative state, but I'm assuming that gets bound up in the uh, in in uh, our Article One of this uh, uh, enforcing the Constitution as written. Uh, your thoughts here? Well, there's a couple things. We could have gone on forever because Washington sure. D.C. is incredibly broken, right? This country, we've got, we're, we're two nations in one country. One nation is Washington, D.C., with its outposts in L.A. and San Francisco and Chicago and New York uh, and other corrupt, broken cities, and then the rest of us, right? And so we feel that we could have written 30 tenants, but we wanted sure. to keep it to 10, right, along the line of the commandments and the Bill of Rights also had 10. 
and, and we also feel if we can get people to enforce these 10 basic things that should should be immutable and not even arguable, like a secure border, then they will do the right thing when it comes to dismantling the regulatory state. Because I grew up in a manufacturing family, which was decimated and then exported by the regulatory state. So trust me, I want that as much as everyone. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more uh, about about the tenants that are there. One of them you talk about is the issue of American labor and the level playing field. Uh, certainly, something you you learned about being part of a manufacturing family. Uh, talk talk a little bit about that. Well, it ruined my my family's life and in the lives of many many hardworking Americans. I I was born in nineteen sixty six, and I watched. Uh, you know, as China got opened up, and uh, then you know more of Asia got opened up. And, uh, and then, of course, when Clinton, you know, did the coup de grace in 92, which gave giving China most favored nation status. And, you know, in the, all these countries in Asia and other parts of the world, many do not li- in South America do not live to the same expectations or, or, or um, uh, level of, uh, I guess, manufacturing prowess and environmental prowess, labor prowess that our politicians hold us to. Here in America, yet they, our politicians have enabled these countries to dump their products here, devaluing American labor. I watched that happen. I watched American companies get uprooted. I watched American lives get ruined because we allowed products that were polluting the Pacific on the left side uh, be imported to America, where we were held to a much higher standard. So we need to change that. And the bottom line is, if you want to sell your stuff in America, you got to live by the same rules we have to live by. It certainly needs to be a, a leveling of the playing field there. We've I've done a little bit of work on this as well. Uh, let's talk about how the effort came about. I mean, you, you know, your bio, you're, you're, uh, you're a descendant of the commander of the Minutemen who engaged the British in, in Concord. Uh, you did this with a couple of your high school friends. Uh, how did this all come about? Well, it came about in September. It's an interesting story. I've been, uh, you know, a constitutional activist for 18 years. I got started with pre- the, the, the Tea Party stuff in the, uh, the late uh, you know, 2007, 2008 in Boston, when things really started to turn in America politically, you know, they'd already turned from a regulatory point of view, as you pointed out. Sure. Uh, so I've always had a mind to this. You know, I was born on April 18th. My great-grandfather, Colonel James Barrett, uh, was the commander of the Minutemen. My name is Benjamin Barrett Hinckley. I'm named after his father. So it's always been part of our family and who we are, you know, the, the founders in, in, in this amazing constitutional republic that they created that allowed more Americans to succeed, lasted more people to succeed uh, than any other experiment in human history from all different walks of life and colors and creeds. That is part of me. That's part of uh, the kids I grew up with in high school. We believe that deeply. And this fall, I was at a speech uh, uh, that Tucker Carlson gave, now known as the famous Wilmington speech. It was September 28th. And, and I festered for six days after that, and I began writing. And uh, on, uh, on October 4th, I, I compiled the first version of the Redeclaration of Independence. And a few friends joined me, uh, one of whom is a federal employee that's very disappointed, and, uh, the kind of federal employee that we'd all lo- love to have. Uh, and we, we compiled this effort, and Tucker, in that speech, actually challenged the audience. He said, if you get 10% of America to stand up and be brave, we can end this, quote-unquote, crap right now. And that's what we're doing. We took him literally. We wrote this, and we've put it out there, and we're trying to get 25 million Americans to sign this because we know our politicians won't do anything unless we lead them in big numbers. 
Well, right. And so in terms of this, have you started to talk to uh, some of the, the bigger names in, in these uh, limited government movements to get them to endorse this, to get it in the hands of, say, so listen, all it would take, all it would take is for, uh, for uh, Donald Trump to mention this in a speech. And he would be, uh, and, and you would get uh, a huge number of signatures out of that. Listen, it's, uh, and I get it. I gotta, gotta step back and admire your ambition here. I mean, ten percent of Americans, so that would be uh, thirty-three million Americans to sign this. If you could do that, no, that would hold be. On. Andrew, uh, stop me for a second. I said legal America, legal oh. Americans. Uh, <laughs> so I think okay. And if you if you discount the children, you're you're at about two hundred fifty million. So twenty-five million okay. illegal American adults of voting age. Okay, okay. So still, <laughs> the difference between 25 and 33 million Americans, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's within the margin of error here. So, so let's, uh, but I mean, that would, if you could get 25 million Americans, uh, let me say this much, if you could get a million Americans to, to sign this, it would be, it would be astounding. And again, I've got to, I've got to admire it. What are you doing to, uh, to make folks more aware of this? Besides coming on, you know, shows like Tony, we, you know, we've got millions of listeners out there. You should all take a look at this and sign it. But uh, wh- well, who, who are you reaching out to? We're, we're, every day I work on this, and we have a sure. lot of volunteers. My friends and I are funding the effort, uh, you know, because we were lucky enough to be, uh, you know, moderately successful in, this, in, this, in the opportunity this country has provided us. And we're calling, we're emailing, we're getting on as many shows as possible, and we're asking your listeners to do one simple thing. Read it. These are ten basic tenets. They're not. I mean, you, you're looking at them right now, Andrew. I mean, they're not difficult things to disagree with. Uh, balancing the budget, not too hard, right? You, I don't know, man. I, you know, I just, I just mess with you. Go ahead. So then, you know, read it, sign it. It doesn't cost anything to sign it. Uh, and then forward it. And you can sign anonymously if, if you don't want to be uh, posted publicly on the website with thousands of others that have. And then forward it to 10 friends. If we do that, we should get some geometric progression pretty quickly. Because one thing I've learned, I ran for U.S. Senate in 2012. That's right, under Sel- after, uh, against Sheldon Whitehouse. Yeah. Oh, boy, what a story. We can go on. We can do another show on those stories. <laughs> sure. But, uh, but, you know, one thing I learned about career-type politicians, they, you know, Bill Clinton, I think, summed it up, and he's obviously not a man of high moral character, but a very savvy politician. You know, he made it to the top of the heap, so to speak, however he did it. But he did say politicians will never start the parade, but they will jump out in front with Absolutely. a baton if you do. And this is our attempt to start the parade. So I am calling. I would love it if uh, President Trump signed this and endorsed it. You know, we're, we're reaching out to as many people as possible. But, you know, my feeling is they're not really going to jump on board until we, the people, have really have really got this thing rolling and started the snowball. Sure thing. And the website, again, is redeclaration.org. That's R-E, declaration.org. Our, our guest uh, is Barry Hinckley, who is the, uh, one, of the, one of the co-founders of this effort and the, one of the uh, principal authors of the document itself. Uh, Barry, uh, you, and you guys are starting to support, or candidates are, I'm going to say you guys aren't the ones supporting the candidates. There are candidates that are supporting your, your efforts. You're also looking for that, aren't you, for candidates to go and sign the redeclaration. Well, that's the big part of it. So we want we the people to sign it, and we also want you to not only sign it yourselves and forward it to ten family and friends, but forward it to your the the rep you support or the candidate you support or both, and demand that they sign it. And this is the measuring stick that we are going to measure you against when we send you to Washington, because the most important thing is that we get them to pledge their allegiance to these ten tenants, and it's modeled after the pledge they take in New Hampshire, which. You guys may not know about out in the Midwest, but New Hampshire has this great pledge, which is 
probably, you know, as it gets more democratic in New England, is in jeopardy. But they, for 40 years, they've had a, what they call the pledge. And it's a social contract where you essentially cannot run for office in New Hampshire, Democrat or Republican, uh, if, if you do not take what they call the pledge, which in that pledge is you will not introduce a new tax. New Hampshire has no right. sales tax, no income tax. So it's modeled after that to a certain degree. Well, that's it's interesting, uh, Barry. I appreciate this. I'm looking at this. It's uh, number one is the balance, balance budget amendment. Uh, two is uh, to pass the annual balance budget by October one, or Congress goes without pay. Um, uh, there's uh, Americans American tax receipts spent on American Americans first. Term limits, level playing field for American labor, securing our elections, securing our borders, honoring and enforcing the Constitution as written, uh, ensuring that uh, UN policy is not uh, forced on Americans, energy independence, uh, the declaration, I'm sorry, the Depart- ending the Department of Education, and ending political indoctrination in our military. These are not outlandish demands to make. I think every every candidate running for office federally, uh, certainly on the Republican side, should be signing this. Uh, Barry, listen. How do folks find out more about your efforts? What are you guys up? To, what, what you guys are up to? It's real simple. Go to redeclaration.org. Read it. It's right. You, you've read most of it right there. There's a little preamble. Uh, sign it. Forward it to your friends, and then demand your candidate uh, or, or, or representative, uh, both Senate and Congress, sign it. Simple as that. Well, Barry Hinckley, we wish you the best of luck with this. I look forward to seeing your progress as the months and years go by, sir. Thank you, Andrew. Great to be with you guys. Uh, Take care. That was Barry Hinckley. He is the founder of Redeclaration.org. They have a new declaration up there. He's the principal author. Go and and check that out. Uh, In a moment, we're going to continue. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Kamala Harris is in the news today. I'm Andrew Langer. This is Tony Katz today. Well, guys, it's always good to do this show. Ah. Anyway, as I'm putting fake voices on in my head, I'm Andrew Langer. I'm in for Tony Katz. I'll, I'll, I'll throw in a minute to uh, tell you about uh, how you can find out more about what I'm up to. You've been hearing about it all day. I want to leave you this because this is going to be a theme over the next uh, next couple of days. Um, I touched on this earlier. I said I was going to explain this, which is the issue of the whole of government approach to these ideological goals. Uh, And it gets into what we've talked about a little bit today with Tim Lee and a handful of others. We're going to talk more about this tomorrow and in the coming days uh, about about the the Biden administration pulling out the stops. Uh, One of the things I was going to play. uh, In fact, you know, something I will play it. Uh, Let's let's play a cut number 10 here. uh, Our 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 esteemed vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris. Let's hear what she has to say. We are proudly talking about equity, even though these people on the, uh, you know, so-called leaders want to shut down DEI. They're trying to they're trying to do with DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, what they sadly successfully did with woke. Yeah, God forbid. God God forbid because it's all the same thing. DEI, but woke is an overall blanket term. DEI is the particularization of woke policies. And it's not just, you know, they're they're they're, they're engaging in this you know, all around the government, the whole of government approach means that they attack these issues, the implementation of these issues in all kinds of different agencies and settings. 
So whether it is the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, uh, trying to create DEI scorecards uh, for big media corporations, or whether it is the implementation of DEI uh, in terms of investment guidelines at the Securities and Exchange Commission, or the implementation of DEI at the Interior Department, or at, uh, uh, or at the Agricultural Department, or, or, or the Department of Education, or wherever. This is what they do and what they're going to do. As I said, they want prescription drug price controls, and, and, and normally they would go through the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or more generally, the Department of Health and Human Services. Now they're using the National Institutes for Standards and Technology to go after and try to seize patents. Next week on Monday, we're going to be joined by John Schweppe from the American Principles Project, who's going to talk about they're going after Christian colleges. Well, they've done it more generally to colleges to go after religious freedom. They hate that. They've done it at HHS to go after uh, matters of conscience for doctors. They even use the Interior Department to try and remove the statue of William Penn. We talked about this on these airwaves before. A real affront to religious freedom. I'm, I'm going to tell you guys. And listen, I don't want to take I don't want to take credit for this term. I, I use it quite a bit. Uh, this term whole of government. It's a term that's coined by my colleague Wayne Cruz at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And they're doing this because there are about 3,000 separate rulemakings a year. And no one organization, no one entity can pay attention to all of them. And they know that if they can just get it through in one little area, in an area where maybe a handful of folks are going to only notice, well, then they can have a victory. They can call it a day. But by the way, I want to go back to this other issue of the Supreme Court and and Donald Trump. Right. Uh, 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 Jamie Raskin was talking about how they, they people shouldn't count on the Supreme Court. Well, we all know that as part of this ideological goal, if the Supreme Court rules for Donald Trump as they should, they're going to try to use, as a, use it as a way to further delegitimize Donald Trump as president of the United States or as a candidate tomorrow. Uh, Chad Caton, who's uh, with the Veterans for Trump, he's going to join us. Jenny Beth Martin from Tea Party Patriots. Tim Head from Faith and Freedom Coalition is going to join as well. Logan Church from Catholic Vote. Ken Davis, Matthew, Matthew Forsyth. Uh, all of those folks going to join us. You want to find out more about what I'm up to, at Andrew underscore Langer on Twitter is how you find me. Facebook.com uh, slash Andrew Langer Show is how you message me. Have a great night, everybody. Please have fun and stay safe.